Yo, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Build Your Network podcast, the only top-rated show committed to helping you grow your business, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Let's get into the show. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another midweek mashup. Today, we're talking about the business of show business. If you're new to the show, the midweek mashup is our chance to put together several of our past amazing guests in one single episode to talk about one singular topic. So today's topic is the business of show business, and we are featuring Eugenia Kuzmina, who is a fashion model and stand-up comic, does a lot of entertaining all over the world. And then Riaz Megji, who is a best-selling author and YouTube star. He's also a former MTV host. And then Chris Van Vliet, who's a former red carpet host and now has his own YouTube channel with about 300,000 plus subscribers. He's interviewed The Rock. He's interviewed John Cena. He's interviewed Mike Myers. I mean, the best of the best of the best. Um, I can't wait for you guys to jump into this episode of the business of show business with Eugenia Kuzmina, Riaz Megji, and Chris Van Vliet. I was going to say, like when, you're, when you start your career at 15, you've already put in years by the time you're 21 when most people are still in college at 21 and haven't even started their career. Yeah, for sure. I had a lot of street smarts. I feel like worked in Japan, you know, in a culture which is completely different and you definitely have to know how to like pay your bills because nobody's taking care of you. So yeah, when I moved to New York, I was ready. You know, it was time where I felt like I was an adult, you know, I was renting my apartment, was investing in stocks and, you know, kind of taking responsibility for, for my life. actual adult, yeah. Yes. <laughs> At this point, what are the dreams? You know what I mean? Like you're 21, you kind of view your modeling career as potentially being like halfway done. Like, so what are you thinking at, th- at this point? You know, what am I going to do when I'm 30? What am I going to do when I'm 40, when I'm 50? Like, what are, what are the dreams? What are the goals that you had when you were really at the top of the modeling game at age 21 in New York? Sure. So, you know, first of all, having my like family of my own was out of the question because my doctors in Russia actually said I probably wouldn't have kids. So that was like put aside and I really had to focus on what I wanted to do. And I remember going to business school for a while online. So I would come from shoots and, you know, like finish, try to finish my degree online. And then I found out that I was pregnant. So that kind of changed the whole trajectory of things that were happening. But yeah, I mean, for a while I was, I I think I took a gene from my dad to be like always creative and inventive. And I was like, okay, I'll invent this. And like, how can I broaden my career as a model as being like invested in like part of the product and, you know, being a producer in that. So I was new, you know, kind of looked at the careers of like Elle McPherson and girls who really made it, you know, further in their career and, you know, Cindy Crawford and you attach yourself to brands and you design like lingerie. And I was always thinking about that, not just being like a person for hire, but what else can I bring to, to the projects and maybe create my own brand, things like that. But things change. Yeah. It seems like, it seems like you've done a significant amount of work around your own brand and, and making sure, I mean, like just the fact that we're having an interview right now is, you know, there, there's, I get a lot of pitches to, for people to come on my show, Eugenia, but uh, very seldomly do I get actresses and models that are looking to, to be on my show. So um, you clearly have an idea of what your personal brand means to you and how it continues to generate further business in your career. At what point did you decide to start picking up these other aspects of your career, you know, acting and, and uh, stand-up comedy, things like that? Well, that was just more of an accident than anything, of course. I love movies all the time. Even in Paris, you know, that was kind of a thing that I love to do in free time. 
the thing is, I met my husband who is a producer and now he runs a studio, Miramax. So at the time, you know, it was interesting. It was a completely different world for me uh, to immerse, you know, to be around artists and all these incredible people. We weren't only talking about fashion, but we were talking about films and storytelling and art. And of course, you know, I felt just such an interest in that. And then when I moved to LA and had my kid, I just found myself in the center of, you know, entertainment town. Basically, that's the business here. And my agent at the time sent me to some auditions. I got the jobs. It was pretty incredible. And, um, you know, it opened a lot of doors. I don't think I was like that desperate, like, oh, I need to, to be an actor. I think it was just like part of where I was growing as a person to find a voice. And it just happened that, you know, I had a lot of friends who were directors or producers and we started collaborating. So that's really how I got to be in, in this business. What do you enjoy more? Modeling, acting, stand-up comedy? What, what do you really enjoy out of all the things that you do and the things that you continue to do? Well, you know, I enjoy working with incredible artists. For me, it's always a collaboration. Like you say, it's a network. You know, it's all about not really like the type of the project or the label of the project. It's more about creating something very special and meaningful for other people, like whether it's a story that can affect somebody's life or it's maybe like a book, you know, that, that can bring something new, like a message to the world or, or a product or anything, you know, like stand-up comedy is an amazing way to, to connect through laughter. And especially in 2020, I felt when, you know, we were in pandemic, like laughter was such a huge thing that I was really enjoying and at some point, you know. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. I'm just getting a little bit of a break from the uh, overall negative tone of the entire world. Has I watched a lot of stand-up comedy during 2020? I'll say that. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so what what do you think? What do you view as next, Eugenia? What what do you view as like you know what's on the horizon for you? Well, it's very interesting because we managed to do a lot of stand-up shows on you know digital platforms, but also we did them with restaurants, kind of like outside of the box because the clubs like Comedy Store and Laugh Factory was closed. So we decided to produce the show with my friend Christine Peake, who is a PR agent for a lot of restaurants. And we're actually planning to uh, potentially do a show at Wynn Hotel or somewhere else in Vegas. So that's kind of the next project. We're going to you know finish our deals there which is really exciting. I think, you know, Vegas is definitely the center of live entertainment. It's the um, spot. I'm, I'm looking out my window right now at the strip. So I don't know about me, but this is where I live. So, oh, so we have to show happen, I'll be there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're probably going to do it with Zappos. Uh, hopefully not will work out, but yeah, definitely we'll contact you uh, for that. So that's really exciting. I just came from Turkey, you know, shot in 2021. In the beginning, was really lucky to have this project with Guy Ritchie and Jason Statham and Aubrey Plaza and Carrie Elvis. And um, it's a really fun, uh, you know, action film. And I actually so happy that I'm not playing Russian spy. I'm finally upgraded to MI6. So it's exciting. Oh, nice. Nice. Yes. You, did, wait, did you have, did you do the British accent for the MI6 or did you? No, you know, I was coming up with all this kind of stories like I came from Sweden and I moved to London and then guy was like no 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 just be yourself like we'll find a justification which is interesting and I like it like how people who think outside the box you know maybe like I have a story where I moved there and I work for you know for MI6 (laughs) so that was very very fun and uh, you know finished right before pandemic Spy City TV show that's uh, supposed to come out this year it took a while to edit it I think because of 
pandemic and everything else. And um, it, it was very fun. I play actually a Russian spy with Dominic Cooper. Really interesting story. And then I'm um, currently practicing and rehearsing for the Fox show, which is called I Can See Your Voice. So we're, you know, in big rehearsals for singing and uh, filming it in a few weeks. So really exciting as well. Nice. That's awesome. So just kind of moving into the networking piece, you've, you've talked a little bit about connections and, and everything in your career has been relationships. Like, I think that's clear listening to you talk about it through interviews, listening to your, your Ted talk, it's, it comes down to people that influenced you, open a door for you, introduce you to the right person. Do you believe that who, you know, or what, you know, is more important and why? And I feel like I can guess your answer based on the stories you've just shared. <laughs> I think it's a strong combination of both. I mean, if you're going to build a relationship, there has to be a degree of competency and trust. If someone's mm-hmm. going to say, all right, I'm going to team up with Eric because Eric's an expert in his craft of how he engages not only with the guests, but with the audience. And there has to be a level of trust there. But what I've also learned in this industry is you could be the most talented interviewer, uh, podcaster, host on camera. But at the end of the day, it really comes down to, well, who do you know so you can have that talent seen, heard, or felt by the decision maker? And in the media business, when they're choosing talent, a lot of the decisions are just arbitrary. That they're, They're truly out of your control. You could put the best application forward, but it'll come down to something that, okay, do I trust this person? Why? Who do they know? Who gives that reference? I think the value and investment in your relationships will drive your success. And, you know, I was even was doing an event this week with, uh, it, it was a virtual gala where several sales leaders were being recognized. And every single one of them talked about their success was because of the team around them. And we had this debrief afterwards of how success is a team sport. And that team sport is just driven by the quality of your relationship. So I think it it's a combination of both, but who you know is definitely going to take you further. And yeah, the relationships are definitely important. And I'm curious, especially speaking to the entertainment world, there's a lot of critics, you know, both well-intentioned and people that maybe just like to pick at different things. And I'm sure you heard plenty of feedback. Like, for example, you got great constructive criticism, you know, the the confidence that we saw there disappeared, you know, when you got on camera in those initial stages, how do you parse out who to take their advice seriously, take the criticism to heart? And what relationships do you keep at a kind of arm's length and say, okay, I can't let their influence affect what I'm doing in this moment. How do you choose who to listen to in those moments? Yeah, that's a valuable question to ask. And I'll really look at it. If it's constructive on the craft, I'll look at Uh, the expertise that someone might have uh, Mm. that's offering up that criticism. Because if it's an armchair critic that's firing from their hip with, you know, no real experience, but just personal perspective or preference, sometimes in that scenario, they might offer insight into a blind spot where it's valuable. I mean, I, I think I operate under the philosophy of discover before I dismiss, no matter who the person is. But if I'm going to take it to heart, there's got to be a level of trust that I have in their expertise. And I find, Eric, like we're in a culture where everyone is so quick to jump in, interrupt, give unsolicited advice. And you really miss the moment of asking somebody first, like, hey, how do you think that went? And allowing somebody to self-diagnose it first. And once they do that, 
if they offer me the invitation to provide feedback, that's where I, I find it's very constructive. Because sometimes people with the unsolicited feedback may have a great intention, but someone wasn't ready for it or they weren't asking for it. And then it just falls on, on deaf ears. So for me, uh, leading with discovery is important, but really uh, having a respect and trust in someone's expertise, if I'm going to double down on really improving some aspect of the craft. I have to know that there's competence on their part and experience on their part that could help me see things in a different way. Yeah, that's so valuable and important to remember. And it, it almost takes us back to the story with your parents, right? Like they they had no knowledge of the entertainment industry and they had what was the success path laid out for you. And for you, it was, it was even though you love, respect, admire, and probably have pulled so many invaluable lessons from them, when it came to pushing into the entertainment industry, you had to find voices that had gone there and done that. You had to find people that had gone the path that you wanted to go. And that's a really that's a really good answer is like looking at the expertise, seeing what they do. And it's hard to do that, especially when you're first starting out, like all of those voices seem so, so loud. I know that's for me, like it was, it was constantly like hearing people give an opinion here, opinion there. And you have to learn how to kind of filter out those voices and find the ones that are really going to push you in the right direction. So I, I really appreciate that answer. As far as networking goes, um, obviously you've had people that have spoken into this. How important have specific mentorships or maybe even masterminds been to you as you've kind of pushed in this direction and, and have grown and developed your craft? Yeah, community and masterminds have been invaluable. You know, it was it was an interview I remember doing with with Shaggy, and this was in 2019. And he, I was talking about his craft of songwriting because he's an artist that kind of finds and discovers up and coming talent and puts them on his track, and he collaborates, and then it's a win win situation. But he also said in his process, and uh, I think this is a common sentiment that if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. And I love that humility as an artist, just to say, okay, let's let's put ourselves in a space where we're consistently growing. And you know, I, I've put myself out there, and I think this is the beauty of online education right now, where you can tap into these virtual spaces and find expertise, not only from the coach that's there, but much to the point we were just discussing, Erica, of who do you listen to? Finding a community of like-minded leaders, entrepreneurs, networkers that have had unique experience where you could put. You know, I've, I've done this for uh, one coaching, Brendan Burchard. I love his work. Uh, there's a great YouTube coach in Vancouver. Uh, her name is Sunny Leonard Doozy. The community she's built uh, has really taught me how to use YouTube in a way that can serve your audience and in your business. Meanwhile, I thought YouTube was a hobby business. Uh, and hearing insights from everybody of the pain points they're experiencing, there's no holding back. They're celebrating their successes if they've made seven figures. And it's not, it's not bragging, it's inspiring to say, here are the results you, you could create. And I used to be someone that was really reluctant to share that because I didn't want to come off as, oh, you're just bragging, but it's, it's showing people what's possible. On the flip side, when there's people saying in, in these types of online communities, oh man, I just butchered this sales call. Here's what happened. And they have the courage and vulnerability to share it. Everybody dissects it and says, Oh, I've had some, you know, a similar pain point. You know, I tripped and failed here too. But that community lifts you up, and I'm a big fan at, with the online networking right now of joining a community that has a similar intention and interest to grow, and then being an active participant that champions others, but also shares those failures so everybody can prop each other up. 
Yeah. No, that's that's amazing and that's that's really really valuable and it's it's I think it's inspiring and I guess eye-opening to see someone like yourself who's been I mean you've been on the network side. You've been at where most people would say like a lot of YouTubers would say oh, I'd love to get to that point and love to get in front of a you know in a real professional setting the way that we tend to segment things in our mind. And it's really cool that even now with all that success, all of that progress made in your career, you can still look and say, what can I learn about YouTube from a YouTuber? Or what can I learn about this realm? Because it's a, it's a different thing. And to be able to still see that is really, I think that's really incredible. It speaks volumes about kind of your personality and your character uh, when it comes to these, these kind of topics. I just want to build on this point because I think it serves the intention of even, you know, the conversations you have on this podcast about building network. And this was advice a producer gave to me at MTV early on when I was trying to script interviews and and create memorable moments and just find out what connection is really all about. And he said, if you do one thing in your career, if you do this one thing, you'll be successful. And it was to maintain a beginner's mindset. Hmm. And he, he really championed the idea that in the beginner's mind, there are infinite possibilities, but in the expert's mind, there are only a few. And you will limit yourself if you think you've got to a point of success and there's nothing else to learn, which is why at this point in the YouTube game of learning so much, being someone that worked for the television network, YouTube gives you the opportunity to become the network. To become a leader with service, because the, the funny thing about YouTube is it's not about you on camera, it's about you, the audience, and half the people searching for a specific content, they don't care about the presenter, they care about the solution they're going to get. Mm. But the community that's built with gratitude to say, hey, Eric, man, thanks, Th- thanks for that idea you gave me on this video, or this podcast, totally going to help me. And then it's on us to engage with them to say, Great. Now, how did that thing go that you said you were going to do? And then you have a healthy back and forth where somebody knows on the other side, Riaz and Eric, they care. Mm. Because in building any network, the thing that I've learned, especially interviewing people for a living, is that the three most important questions that we all ask ourselves the first time we meet somebody are, do you care about me? Are you listening to me? And can I trust you? And if we can navigate those questions with pure intention and look out for somebody, some beautiful relationships will be built. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I mean, that's obviously what you've covered in your book and you've, you've written an entire book about building these relationships, having these conversations that matter. And uh, if you're listening to this, definitely pick up a copy of Every Conversation Counts. Um, You're kind of sharing all of the practical takeaways you've had from your industry experience, from building relationships, even to this day. And um, I, I guess before we move into our final round, if you if you could talk about the book and just say, you know, hey, if there's if there's one takeaway, obviously every author hopes that there's not just one takeaway that comes from a book, <laughs> but if you could find one thing and say, this is the message I want everybody who grabs a copy of my book to walk away with, what would that concept or idea be? Yeah, thanks for the invitation to share on that. And, and, and it really comes down for me in our everyday communication. If we broke out of autopilot mode, and got intentional with our listening, with our curiosity, and with our empathy, how could our relationships be different? And how we approach each other, this culture of convenience we live in works against the notion of meaningful human connection because everything's moving so fast, especially in the virtual world. But I invite uh, somebody listening to this that might be intrigued by the book uh, to practice specificity in your life. Remember one thing they told you and bring that back 
ask them one specific question about a moment in their life that's going to light them up and they can share a story. And if you think about even you want to show appreciation to somebody, instead of just saying, hey, great job, how can you be more intentional with your praise to make it specific, to make it personal, to make it urgent, to show here's what really made this special, Eric. The space you created not only inspired me, but here's what I did with it. And here's why your podcast on networking is so powerful. It's so much more meaningful to the other person. So when we come down to communication, how do we practice specificity with listening, empathy, curiosity, and even appreciating one another on a daily basis? This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a, a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. So at what point in that did you feel like not only am I currently hosting some TV stuff, but like, I think I could turn this into a real living, like a real career. Yeah. The internship ended up turning into a job when I went into my general manager's office and basically said like, thank you so much for this opportunity. I just can't keep afford. I can't afford to do this. And he's right. like, oh, Chris, been uh, meaning to talk to you. You're right. You're not going to be an intern anymore. We don't have a position, but I just created one for you. Congratulations. You're now part of the news team. It's like, <laughs> uh, okay. Well, this one extraordinarily well. well. <laughs> amazing. Thank you. Can I quit the job at the pet store? He's like, sure. I don't care. Do whatever you want. I'm like, this is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So I was at that job for about a year and a half. Did it come with a little bit of a pay raise? Yeah. From $0 <laughs> to, I think, fourteen seventy eight an hour, mm. which way, way more than the $8 I was making at the other place. Sure. Yeah. And what is this? What year is this? This is 2005. Okay. So, so decent. Went, went a little bit further back then. For yeah, sure. a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Just certainly paid for my gas, which yeah. was important. <laughs> so I was reporting on news stories. And when you're at a local TV station, it's a bit of a stretch sometimes for what 
is considered news. Yeah, yeah. And I was there for about a year and a half, and I was just like, this is good. Like reporting on the local bake-off or something like that. Oh, my, all that stuff. (laughs) Do you remember any, like, interesting ones that, like... Oh, I remember being pitched a story that it was like, (laughs) there's a cat that lives in a retirement home. And I was like, okay, like... So what's the story? They're like, so that is the story. That's the whole story. <laughs> it's the cat. I went, hold on. <laughs> so the story is that there's a cat. And they're like, yeah, but he makes people feel good. I'm like, okay. That's uh, what cat <laughs> I remember a story that there was a new stop sign. No way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is like cottage country. This is yeah, like. Yeah, right. Yeah. The local. Yeah. Right. Which I'm so grateful for of the opportunity. Yeah. And I was on TV every day and I was actually anchoring the news on Sundays, which was really cool. Wow. Yeah. I should dig up those terrible tapes of that. Those would be gold. They'd be so bad. I got to find a way to take DVC pro and digitize it. (laughs) I don't think anyone uses that anymore, but I was, this is great, but I don't think that at 22, I want to be a news reporter or I want to be a news anchor. I just saw this as a way to like learn about television. Sure. Yeah. So I was sending my stuff out to any television show that I could ever find. I was just submitting my stuff. The thing is, when you work at a local TV station, all of the footage that you have is you reporting on local news. Right. So I would go out after my shift was done because we had access to all the cameras and mics Mm. and I would go out and fake that I was reporting on like much cooler stories. (laughs) So I would set up the camera in a field and be like, oh yeah, like I remember Rocky Balboa, the movie had just come out. And I'm like, yeah. oh, Rocky Balboa hits theaters this weekend. We're talking to Sylvester Stallone. No, we're not. <laughs> but I would fake this stuff like we were. No, he's coming through <laughs> Peterborough. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I was applying for all these things and like no one was taking my stuff very seriously. And then there was a job opening in Vancouver, which is the other side of the country. It's like where Seattle is. And I submitted my stuff and like, I looked at what they were looking for. It was like two years experience. I'm like, I've got that. And it was like, know how to like, like, I think it was know how to operate a camera. I'm like, I, I do that right now. And I'm like, yes. this is my job. Right. I've got to get this job. So I submitted my stuff, didn't hear anything from them. But on the application was the name of the person that was doing the hiring. Okay. So I'm like, I'm going to give her a call. Mm-hmm. So I called the TV station and asked for her by name. And they were like, one moment, please. And I'm like, oh my God, this is working. I can't believe it. They put me through to her desk. I left a voicemail. She ended up emailing me back and said like, we're going through the tapes right now. We'll let you know if we want to talk to you further. Yeah. In the email signature was her direct phone line. And I'm like, I will be calling you in a few days. Right, right. And sure enough, a few days later, I called her. She picked up and I said, oh, hey, you know, I just wanted to make sure you saw my stuff. I'm actually going to be in Vancouver next week. And since I'm going to be there, it'd just be great to talk to you about the job. And she's like, oh, well, if you're going to be here, sure. How about next Thursday? Yeah. Again, like a total loss. It's yeah. a five-hour flight. The flight now, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, as soon as I hung up the phone, I'm like, dad, can I fly to Vancouver? <laughs> My dad worked for an airline for many, well, his whole career. Oh, okay. So we made it happen. I flew out there and five minutes in, they started talking about salary. And I'm like, I think I got this job. This is crazy. That's awesome. So that was kind of where things started to, to get going for me. That's yeah. when I started to go, okay. I well, it turned into a be. real job. Yeah. Where you got like real pay. Yeah. Moved to Vancouver. Moved across the country. Yeah, moved right. my entire life in a 1995 Toyota Corolla. Yeah, nice. A 47-hour drive. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so that was kind of where it switched for me. And that was where I went from doing local news stories about the cat in the retirement home yeah. <laughs> to my first day on the job was following the rapper Chingy around for the entire day. 
Huh. So my first day, it was like thrown to the wolves. Like, hey, you're going to spend the day with Chingy. Make a story out of it. And I was like, okay. Huh. He's the right thar guy for everybody you know, watching yeah. at home. <laughs> right thar. Yeah, yeah. So that was kind of where it really shifted. And then from there, that's when I started doing a lot of celebrity interviews with actors, directors, comedians, musicians. For the same... Uh, that was yeah. MTV2 Canada in Vancouver. And that's when things really started to take off for me. This is mid-20s? This is 2006 and seven. Okay. And that's also when I did my first, I'm a big wrestling fan. I did my first interview with a wrestler there, Bobby okay. Lashley, and started to kind of realize that when you were interviewing celebrities, you could also sometimes kind of put your other interests into there. Like I was a UFC fan. Well, all of a sudden I have a great platform where I can interview UFC athletes. Yeah. Or I yeah. can interview WWE The people that you've like looked up to. And, and yeah. 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 So there's been a lot of really cool opportunities like that. Yeah. During that time that you were there, was there any, was there anything that really popped out to you in terms of skills that you were consciously working on refining in order to be able to take it next level? Like, did you look at people doing something else and go like, that's the next step? but I'm not quite there. I need to work on these couple of things. Yeah. So again, this is 2006, seven. And I remember much music was the main TV station that we were kind of working on. It's kind of like MTV in the U S or like fuse. Okay. And they were uploading raw interviews with uncut interviews, 15, 20 minute interviews with these like big name musicians. And I was like at the time going, Man, my full interviews are not good. My mm. full, if you took the full 20 minutes, you'd be like, yeah, that part was good. And that part was good. Yeah. As a whole, not great. I really started to work on turning my interviews into conversations mm. and trying to make them flow a little bit more. Isn't it crazy how difficult that is? So difficult. Dude, like the, the weirdest part to me about starting the podcast yeah. was how difficult it was to interview. It was the last thing in my mind. I had so many other things in my mind, yeah. like, you know, figure out a launch, I got to get a microphone, I got to do all this other stuff. And it's like, the interview is like, oh, whatever, I'll write down some questions, that'll be fine. Yeah. And like, I talk all the time. Yeah, exactly. And then I sit down and I was like, this was dreadful. This is horrible. <laughs> like, yeah. nobody's going to listen to this. I'm just like, just nervously going from question to question. Zero idea how to transition. Like, you just do that yeah. awkward, like, okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. At all? Yeah, right. You're just trying to focus on your next question. Yeah. yeah. Like that person could give you the biggest reveal ever. You're just like, okay, so <laughs> why is your album called this? <laughs> I'm laughing this hard because, uh, man, God bless them because I was the same way, but I just had a few interviews this past week where I was on some people's shows and it was that way. And I was just like, I do not miss those days, man. I yeah. And I think days. that the, the problem is we don't use the word interview in our everyday life. Sure. Like if you're a normal person, the only time you're being interviewed is for a job. Exactly. And maybe if the police are bringing you in for something. Yeah. Right. God forbid. That's yeah. it. Yeah. That's it. Yep. So I think that people hear the word interview and they think about it with a capital I and they're like, oh God, it's it's like, yeah. no, this is grabbing a beer with your friend. Sure. This is bumping into somebody at the mall. Like that's what this should be. Yeah. Or at least should feel that way. It should feel that way. Yeah. The best ones are when you get done and you look at the clock and you're like, wow, that was an hour. Like, yeah. I not feel like that. When at first it just, dude, it was pulling teeth to get to like 18 minutes. I think know? one of the best things about podcasting now is it's one of the very few times when you're kind of like in this vacuum, like I'm not looking at my phone. You're not looking at your phone. Right. And that very rarely happens now yep. in our life. Yeah, very And true. I think that people forget how to be bored now. <laughs> like, that's, that's true. But they're, they're not okay with being bored anymore. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, like fidget. You right. Know, you you're standing in line at the DMV. Do something. As soon as you see there's three people in front of you, the very first thing you do yep. is you reach for your phone. The commercial comes on during the game. The very first thing you do is reach for your phone. Yep. 
And I think that people have forgotten how to do this. Yeah. You just play a game called how many screens. Sometimes sometimes I look around the living room. It's like, oh, we got the, you go, got the iPad up for the recipe. And then you got the TV on. I'm looking at my phone. My son's on his iPad and my wife's on her phone is like, how, what is happening right now? To get back to, to get back to your point about interviewing. So that was the skill set that you realized needed some work. And it was, it was that, and it was also just becoming more comfortable on camera. Okay. I think now in 2022, we're a lot more comfortable on camera. We're used to like taking selfies. Yeah. We're used to like videoing ourselves. Everybody's on camera all the time. Right. Yeah. And you do have that adjustment of like, oh, that's what I really sound like. Or that's what I really look like. Like I do that thing with my eyebrows when I talk, really? Always hate it. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's having that self-awareness. And I think in broadcasting, it takes a good two or three years yeah. to get used to the broadcasting version of you, to get used to that slightly amped up version of you, like the best version of you on your best day. Yeah. And that's a little bit more polished. I think it takes a little bit of time to go, oh, that is me. Mm. Yeah. It's pretty weird because you don't want to overdo it. Right. Yeah. Like it's weird when people, when you can tell that people are overdoing it, when it's clearly just, this is not you at all. Like yeah. you're not an actor. You're not, you don't have to act like you're a good broadcaster. Like you got to find your authentic self. Be a little bit bigger than what you are right now, because that's what this demands. Yeah. Right? And the camera flattens it, which is a really interesting thing. Mm. I realized that really early. Like you think that you're giving it your all and you watch it back and you're like, this new album is coming out and you're like, oh, that, okay. got to turn it up. <laughs> yeah. So I was watching a lot of stuff back to try okay. to find that balance. Yeah. Any advice for somebody listening who maybe they're a podcaster, maybe they're trying to get into real broadcasting or whatever. And they're looking at it going like, man, I feel that. And I don't know how to get better at it. Yeah. I think it's just do it like reps, like yeah. just do it because Everyone always points to Joe Rogan when it comes to podcasting and what's, he's on episode 1700 and something right now, which is unbelievable. And you're on episode 800 and something like amazing. People aren't remembering what episode 16 of the Joe Rogan experience looked like or sounded like, Mm -hmm. or even episode 416. Right. So I think it's just get the reps in and be patient too. I think that unfortunately people will put out like three episodes. They'll see the numbers and they'll go, well, this is a, what a waste of time. This is, <laughs> it's like, no, it's a lot of time, right? It's a booking the guests, it's researching it, it's actually doing it, it's producing it, it's editing it, it's uploading it, and then it's promoting it. And if you don't love every aspect of that, mm-hmm. probably not going to be that successful. Yeah, right. Hey, hey, thanks for listening to this episode. That's it for today. As you all know, this show is completely free. Our only ask is that if you found anything valuable in this episode or in any of the episodes that you've listened to, then share it with somebody else and leave us a quick rating review in whatever platform you're listening to right now. It would be super, super helpful for us. Uh, So that's it for today, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in. Catch you next time. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. 
that crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.